0: One, two five nine Bridges, servant leader, rector, Reverend Deacon Eller, what the hell?
1: so Ethan this week I have a another practical I guess scenario but mm. I want to talk about um partially I want to talk about what makes something pastoral care but more mm. primarily I want to talk about pastors and when we should be pastoral to other pastors
0: Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. because i work and, and i think that this might be part of my calling as i work with other pastors you know i enjoy talking to other pastors hence this podcast and i like i think pastors are very fascinating people but i think that we haven't agreed on how to behave to each other around each other, how to treat each other as pastors. And I have a like main example I wanna talk through, but before I get to that one, I wanna talk about a personal example that you can feel free to tell me I have too many feelings about, cause I think I have too many feelings about it. Okay. Do you remember when we watched Night and Fog in the Bonhoeffer class at Wesley?
0: I do, I do remember.
1: It's a very affecting documentary. And I, like, for for whatever reason that day, I could not handle it. And Mm -hmm. I also could not verbalize that I could not handle it. And I couldn't find an appropriate or a socially appropriate way to handle it. So, like, I went from my seat at the tables at Wesley to, like, literally sitting curled up in a ball in the corner to, like, eventually getting my shit together and leaving the room because I just – I couldn't. I could Mm. not watch more scenes from this concentration camp in horrific detail. I just couldn't do it. Sure. And I remember – As I was, like, getting myself together, being incredibly frustrated that, like, in this room of future pastors, nobody came to check on me. Nobody noticed what was happening with me. Like, nobody paid attention to me. Mm -hmm. And I... I, I've mentioned this to Ian kind of accusatorily in the past. And Ian's like, I was watching the movie. I, I don't know what you what do you want from me? Not not like that callous, but like he was like, I it wasn't my wasn't my role. I was I was doing my student thing. Uh and I I have since been like, that's not really fair to put that expectation on like my fellow students that somebody's gonna come care for me, right? Mm-hmm. But but it also kind of raises that raises the question that I want to talk about, is like, I mean, in that moment, should somebody have been paying attention to me? Is that a fair expectation? So what do you think about that first small example?
0: Um, it definitely should have been Josiah Young.
1: I didn't even think that Dr. Young should have been paying attention. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, that's, I mean... That's a poor expectation on my part, yeah.
0: It's gotta be it, you know, meaning no no offense to Josiah Young, Dr. Young, like you are great, you know, and, and We that we Bonhoeffer love you class, Come on
1: the podcast. Yeah. Oh
0: yeah. That Bonhoeffer class was tough for many of us at that time and oh yeah. And and so that's not in any way a reflection on how we feel about you. But but um yeah, I'd be willing to say that. Like I'm I so I like uh, my instinct is to think about situations like that like like think about like when we are in like certain kinds of like professional modes like when graduate school is a professional mode right Right. like like in a way that's a little different than undergraduates like undergraduates you know i think are pretty good at being professional in classrooms and by professional i just mean like they understand their role as students they understand i think generally pretty well like where responsibility lies, but like I tend to think of things in that way because I think it helps us understand what our capacities are in certain moments, right? Um, and and so in that moment, you know, you were a part of, um, you were a student, and you were among fellow students, and it's not that fellow students didn't have the capacity to check on you. And it's not that fellow students have to, you know, sort of fulfill these rules that like we're given as students, but there's a responsibility change in that, in which the students are not, I don't think, I think it's fair to say that like students are not responsible for each other when you're in the classroom. You know, it's not that, it's not that we're not responsible for each other as people. Like, We're still all people and, you know, it's not every person for themselves in a classroom, but in our capacity as students, we are all equally disempowered um, to do stuff. And, And the person in your story who had both the power, the authority and the responsibility was Dr. Young yeah that that doesn't mean dr young just just was a giant fuck up that day like you know it's hard it's complicated but like that would i would say you know uh, based on my memory of the story and how you said it 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 should have just been dr young dr young should have at the very least sent you an email you Mm, know at, at the very least you know reached out to you you know in in that way and that's just not what happened. And so, but I understand, I guess my last thought on this is, I understand why you're frustrated. I understand why you have complex emotions for the other students in the room. Like, I think that if we were more attentive and um, just in general, I think that there should have been more students, you know, who checked on you or or, or drew alongside of you or made sure you were okay. But I also understand why they didn't, you know, why we didn't. I'm like, well, like Ian said, our job at that point was to watch the film. And 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 yeah, were we following orders? I guess. But like that was what we were empowered to do as students. And so what were we supposed to do in that moment is, I think, a valid question.
1: Yeah, Yeah. And I mean, again, like it's a very engrossing film. Right. And I imagine that I don't know if you had emotional reactions to it, but I know that I was not the only one to have Mm -hmm. emotional reactions to it. Yeah. So there's an aspect of of also taking care of yourself and being in your own space. I also think that because I am often hypervigilant I have an expectation that others are hypervigilant and that's not a fair expectation for anybody right <laughs> like mm-hmm. I notice a lot of I'm often paying attention to a a, a higher alerted degree And other people don't do that. So like I should not have the expectation that people see all the things I see or feel pressured in the way I feel pressured to be a caregiver. You know, I Mm -hmm. think that's another part of the complicated emotions is I think that if I saw myself, I would check on myself, you know, but that's also not true. And I also like I don't know what I would have done in that situation either. So yeah sure. but I think that kind of sets the scene for for how complicated I think these conversations can be especially like on a peer-to-peer basis.
0: Yeah yeah we also all uh, handle motions like that very differently. I, I I so like if the roles are reversed if if I had a, a similar reaction that you had to the film uh, to and and did the same stuff like like literally had to leave the the room. And you followed me, I'd have run for my life. There would have been no, it. there would have been no chance that I would talk to you. Um, if anybody would have come to find me, I'd be like, "You need to not talk to me," because and and for a lot of reasons. Like I'm sure some of them are are you know, uh, not the healthiest reasons. Like about how I process trauma or feelings or or whatever. But but at the same time. I'm also just different. Like I yeah, I would have talked, I, maybe I have other people I talked to, or maybe I really did just need to take a moment and, and think about it for myself. And so uh, I bring that up because like, maybe there were people who did notice, but uh, yeah. we work under, but like for me, I work under the assumption that I, I, which is not always a good assumption, but I work under the assumption that I try to help people in the way that I would need help. Sure. You know, but I don't think you can blame anybody for that. And you're not, you're not blaming anybody for that, I don't think. But like, I think that there's a a good chance that there's an element to that. I guess what I'm saying is, is like, I don't think that, um, I don't think that any, that nobody cared.
1: Right, right. I think you're exactly right.
0: You know, I just think um, we're not always sure, even pastors are are not always sure, you know, uh, what to do in that way
1: yeah and i think i I think it's different for everybody i think these are situations where you need to really feel out and uh, and know a person and there are many ways to make mistakes um again I, i and again i want to affirm that my expectations in that moment of what i think should have happened are completely colored by um the care that I want to receive but am not often like able to articulate and that's been like a problem for me since I was a small child so Mm -hmm. like I I know I I also want to be very clear as we start this conversation that like I'm aware that there's a lot that goes into this too um And I also I think one piece of this that I want to kind of keep in mind is the um, the almost nonverbal aspect of it. I couldn't I think I think as pastors or as people who care for other people, we are trained to like listen for and articulate a need. You know, mm-hmm. we yeah. are trained to either notice and ask or or wait till somebody comes to us. And I think sometimes that's an important boundary. We cannot always be trying to anticipate everybody's needs because we'll just, we won't make it. But because I wasn't able to articulate anything, that left me in a place where I wasn't able to ask for care. And I bet that if I had been able to ask Dr. Young for something, I, I don't know what I would have needed. But if I had been able to ask, Dr. Young would have been Really amenable to what i'd asked for
0: Mm -hmm. i I just didn't
1: didn't know what to say but that that, it sticks out in my mind um that kind of piece of it so here's the case that i want to talk about for the rest of the episode that involves pastor to pastor relations okay i recently heard the story of an acquaintance of mine Who I knew had had a really difficult time with their supervisor, but I didn't really know all the pieces until I had heard had heard their story. They had recently gone through a pretty, pretty difficult personal season involving a really traumatic personal loss and a big change in their living situation. But they were still like keeping it together, showing up at their job, doing doing all of the things that were expected of them to the best of their ability. And I don't want to understate how difficult this, um, this season in their life was. It was truly a huge traumatic shift without much time to really process the underlying trauma. And so uh, this is somebody who's showing up at work, doing their best, but like... It's a struggle. And I think I think we can all think of somebody who's been in a situation like that or have been in that situation ourselves, you know. Mm -hmm. And so there was kind of this inciting incident that that shifted this person's relationship with their supervisor. It, It revolved around a mistake that happened in a worship service. Okay. And like these things happen, you know. Like we all, we all are fallible human beings. But the mistake was apparently egregious enough to an attendee of the worship service that they emailed the supervisor to complain about it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the supervisor, instead of having any type of emotion or caring for for this person who's going through this incredibly traumatic season, just completely rips them apart. And continues there there. I don't know all of the underlying reasons why this relationship shifted in this particular time. But from that moment on, every little thing was a source of criticism. And in their one on one meetings, there would be just a litany of things this person had done wrong. And it was it was, you know, things like typos and commas could be a whole like a whole 15 minute complaint about how how essential it is that we get these things exactly right and i mean it escalated to the point that this person's ability to do their job was called into question Mm. this person had to do like remediation steps in order to stay employed and had an incredible toll on this person's mental health Mm. so that and I've kept it really vague because it's a it's a tough story. But my questions coming out of this are like both of these people are pastors, right? Both the person who has made a small mistake during a very traumatic moment in their life, and the supervisor are pastors. And one might think that a pastor would recognize the role that trauma plays in somebody's life and at least cut them some slack. But that did not happen at all with this the final piece of the story is that i was talking to somebody who who knew both the supervisor and this person and said to the supervisor at some point you're a pastor you should have known better and you should have treated them better And that to me signals that we have an expectation that like pastors are pastors, always that Mm -hmm. pastors are always in maybe pastoral care mode to everybody. And I want to kind of pick at that idea. Like, I both want to pick at the situation and the idea that because we have the title of pastor, we owe everybody pastoral care all the time. Because I don't think that's true, but I do also think that this should have been done differently.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: So that's my example. What are your first reactions and first thoughts or any like clarifying questions?
0: Sure. Um, And so this person was uh, the the person who the the supervisor. So it's a boss. Yeah. Okay. And they're both pastors, but it's it's, you know, there's there's a a difference in terms of responsibility and stuff like that. Okay.
1: Yeah, I think it would be fair to say that it's akin to maybe a senior pastor and like a youth pastor or children's and families pastor, you know, it's, it's not a senior pastor and associate. It's not quite that close, Um, but it's, it is still like working on the same staff together, but the, the supervisor has uh, basically like the final authority in terms of how to supervise this person.
0: Sure. Well, I mean, so on one hand, when I say, I'm about to say it's tricky, but I only, I only mean that in a particular way. The only reason I would say that the situation is tricky is because it is more than just one pastor to another. Right. You know, like um, if, if this was like at a, if, if it was two pastors with, with sort of equal authority being colleagues, um, I think that adds a different dimension to it, sure. but like, but, but so, but right away, I mean, like there's no reason to ream anybody out for one mistake. There's not, there's, there's zero reason. No no matter how big the mistake is, particularly if it's one or the first like real mistake, um, uh, particularly when it's involves pastor stuff, that's the other thing. Like, this this person this wasn't NASA. This person's one mistake wasn't. Oh, I pressed the button that launched the nuke. You know, <laughs> sorry, sorry, everybody. You know, like no, it's fine. Like like no, like that's like let's let's have some clarity a little bit, friends, and and some honesty about the the sheer importance of what we do. Like, it's really okay. Things are fine. You know, like there's no reason to ream anybody out for one one problem. I'm a little, I'm, you know what, I'm kind of uh, intrigued by. I don't know if I have a comment like for it, like a thought about it yet, but I'm intrigued by the framing of this story, as also like a pastor relations. Do we owe? Do we owe? Do pastors owe each other pastoral care? When I'm, int- I'm intrigued by that framing because it's not that I don't think it's there, but. My initial thought, like the initial way that I approached this story is this is a work problem.
1: Yeah. Well, so I think that's, I think that you're exactly right to identify that. I think it is absolutely first and foremost and almost entirely a work problem. But I also think that it highlights something about Something about the weirdness of being a pastor in that, like, it it highlights that point where being a pastor stops being a job. Because there is that expectation that you are a holier person, and therefore you are a kinder and maybe more emotionally aware person, and that Mm -hmm. you would handle situations differently than your average everyday person would, right? You're a pastor, there's something special about you, you've been called to care for others, and therefore you, uh, you of all people should have been more caring in this situation.
0: Sure, yeah, yeah. But yeah, like, I, guess. I also yeah.
1: think the job read is absolutely right. Like, this is this is just bad workplace management, bad supervision, <laughs> yeah. uh, almost all the way down to the core.
0: Well, right. Like this is so correct me if I'm wrong, but like, you know, how you describe the, the incident is like like there's this this thing that happened and then somebody reached out to the supervisor. So it's not even as though the supervisor was there.
1: Yeah, I don't I I'm not completely clear on it, but yeah, I don't think the supervisor was there.
0: Well, and so then then it's even it, it, then it, it I think is really plain as like a really egregious and very frankly very amateur um move on the part of the supervisor. Um, because uh who cares? It's not that who cares that people complained. It's uh, I think somebody who is a seasoned supervisor or boss or leader with at least with good instincts and good training knows that um, first and foremost, you are responsible for the the people you know who work with you and for you. And um, people who like like who are not a part of the organization who are who you are serving or who are you know consuming your product or doing whatever, can come up with a million dumb reasons to be mad. Right. And that's why I'm like, boy, that's just an amateur move. So a rando emailed you and said, boy, I was just real butthurt about this. Now do something about it. And then this person didn't do any follow-up, didn't like –
1: Right, didn't Didn't check in with the employee first to see
0: yeah yeah like like boy it's not that hard right it's not it's not so hard to be like hey just wanted to quickly say this i got this email what happened at the event and then you can hear it you can get the explanation and then you know the supervisor could just shrug and be like oh okay well Let's hopefully that doesn't happen again, you know, (laughs) then you move on because you'd be able to see based on, you know, how how your employee explains it pretty quickly, whether or not this was negligence or just a simple mistake or malicious or whatever. Right. Right. Uh, You know, I, I guess that's my big takeaway from all of this is. It really just it, it sounds like a real bonehead move on the part of the supervisor for not doing the the easiest thing in the world, which is just asking,
1: right? Or or maybe trusting the person that who works for you, who you've worked with for some amount of time. You know, like I think I think that's another part of it too. I, I for a little bit of context, the email wasn't just from some rando; it was from. Another person in the organization who has some clout, um, akin to like your church matriarch, getting in touch about something that happened, you know. So it is something that you want to take seriously, right? It's important. An important member of the community has raised a valid concern, but at the same time, there's there's a way to handle that, and that's not how this was handled. Sure. I mean, I think back to when I worked at the planetarium in Chapel Hill, this is a, a space story that you won't care about, but there, um, <laughs> it was right when super moon became a thing in like the, the way that people talked about perigee moons, um, which is when like the moon is clo- at its closest approach to the earth. And it appears like several degrees bigger in the sky,
0: okay. but it be-
1: kind of became a thing right around the time that the story happens. And I was like, A physics major in my last semester teaching, student teaching full time and taking courses and like working at at the same time. Like I was a full lid Um, and this kid comes into the planetarium and I'm doing a live planetarium show. And at the very end of the show, completely kind of out of nowhere, I mean, I had asked for questions, but I was like orbiting out in the solar system. I wasn't like at our moon. So I asked for questions and this kid asked, what about the super moon? And I had never heard this term. I had no idea what they could be talking about. And I like think for a couple of seconds to think of like what the answer could be. And I end up saying, and this is a mistake, I end up saying all moons are super that's and, awesome.
0: Uh,
1: yeah, I think almonds are super. I,
0: I didn't know where you were going with this, and I ended up saying, "Shut the fuck up, you fucking idiot! This <laughs> is dumb. my fucking show, you cocksucker!" And, and then I got in trouble.
1: Well, you know from the from the email that the parents sent afterwards, and I may as well have said that. they um they also came up after the show and it was the end of the night like the guy in the gift shop wanted to close up i fully had gone over this was this was all on me and like the kid comes up to ask again and i was like well tell me more about it because i don't think i know about this and the kid tells me something and there's this hoax that goes around every year that says that the moon and mars are going to be the same size in the sky And it never is going to happen. Like, this goes back to, like, the days of, like, chain emails. That's how often Mm -hmm. people share this. And I was like, oh, it really sounds like that. And that doesn't happen. Like, this is what we see. And this is how we see it. And I, like, am, like, walking them out the door as I'm, like, giving this answer because I need to close. Mm -hmm. And so they send this email to the director of the planetarium. So, like, my boss's boss's boss. Um, and they were like, this so-called physics major knew less about astronomy than my fourth grade child. And it just basically like tore me apart. And in that situation, what the director of the planetarium did was to be like, here are two free passes. We're so sorry that your experience was not what you expected. This is a student employee with this schedule. This is a new term. And, and she did not know about it. If you had phrased it in a different way, she would have known. Um, we're sorry that this happened this way we will talk to this employee and uh, thank you for coming to Moorhead. And like in that, like fully affirmed that like, I'm not a dummy and I made Mm -hmm. a mistake. And also like, yeah, we, we hear that you didn't get what you want. That's okay. And like, This is just some guy, right? This is not a person who's been trained to care for other people. This is somebody without any trauma-informed training. This is somebody with, like, your average level of emotional intelligence. And he was still like, no, I'm going to stand by my staff because I have hired my staff and I trust them and they're great. And, like, what a difference that is between the example we have.
0: Well, exactly. Uh, I agree with you. that It's really not that complicated, Right. You know, frankly, the, your, the, your boss's boss's boss, the other appropriate response could have been to say nothing. Right. <laughs> and then everybody just shrugs and be like, see ya, you know, <laughs> bye. Nobody cares. It's, it's one instance, uh, in, in a meaning, no disrespect to you, a low level employee who is not being accused of doing anything inappropriate.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. This I, Again, in this situation, I believe that they were donors. So there was a need for a response. But yeah. Jesus. So then I'm still curious about this expectation that pastors somehow should do this better. <laughs> you know, that like sure. we should be better bosses because in theory we're better trained. I think we all know that practically that's not how it turns out. But I also kind of feel on some level that we should be better. What do you what do you think about that?
0: Of course we shouldn't be better. At what point and I don't I don't mean to contradict you Joe, at what point in our training have you been led to believe that we are been trained to be good executives?
1: Well, you know that's fair.
0: That's true. You know like like I we're not we're not trained for that. Actually our system uh is make is is an anti-executive system. Like, like we, so, I mean, when a United Methodist pastor, from my understanding, I mean, this is how I've been doing it. A United Methodist pastor is appointed and under no circumstances am I in charge. Um, Yeah. I, I not even, not, not just in practice or not, neither in practice nor as part of the discipline. I have very specific things that I have authority over and I have very specific things that I don't have authority over I, I would say most of uh, the pastor's job in terms of leadership involves uh, both a certain kind of, I guess what we call like servant leadership. I'm, you know, that's, that's, I think the fraught term, but like, but also a lot of like behind the scenes fuckery sure. to like, to like try to, to try to like get your, you know, our people to do a thing or make a decision. Like I think that a lot of churches would love for us to be dictators yeah. because I think it's, it's easier for a lot of churches. And I think a lot of churches see, you know, big evangelical churches or, or, or successful Baptist churches or, or other churches that are doing really well that have a stronger executive, you know, for a pastor and they go, well, that's what we want. But we all we all know that neither of those pastors have received executive training either. Right. You know, that's why a lot of those pastors embezzle money and have affairs and do all these, you know, kind of and are awful. Um, And so, no, I I think that the idea that because a pastor is hopefully trained well enough to say, uh, have some. Experience with talking with folks in times of trauma and have some training in terms of, you know, uh, good listening skills and stuff like that. That's all really great. And hopefully that makes us uh, better at being pastors. But like, I don't need my boss to know how to talk to people in times of trauma. Um, HR should probably know how to do that. Um <laughs> Uh, But like in in this case, uh, I do think it's a it's a complicated scenario you've brought forward, like a story you've brought forward. But I'm also not I also am not sure. I don't I I, I doubt the supervisor understood themselves as a pastor in these moments.
1: I think that's exactly right. Yeah.
0: You know, and I think that um, uh, I don't think I would have either now hopefully i wouldn't have been horrible right. but like i don't think i'd have understood myself as essentially doing uh having a pastoral role in in that scenario Um, Because
1: we we are not each other's pastors. I mean, I think that's an important thing for us to always remember as pastors, is that you in order you are finite, there is only so much you can do. And like, obviously, I think we all set good boundaries around we are not our family's pastors, we are not our Mm -hmm. friends pastors, you know, like, that is not that what that relationship is and also on the flip side that's why we're not friends with our parishioners because we're their pastors and there i think there needs to be that separation in order for us to do the job well um and so i think that like there doesn't need to be an expectation of pastoral care pastor to pastor unless it's like a mentorship situation sure in which you've already kind of either tacitly or explicitly agreed that like i will come to you for care at the same time Um, I think people think of pastoral care not as um, being trained to sit and listen well and care for others in these particular moments of crisis, but as like being an emotionally aware person who cares about other people and isn't a dick. You know, Mm -hmm. I think sometimes those definitions get conflated. And so... um, That idea that like we owe everybody pastoral care, it really is we owe each other just the same basic kindness and goodness human and human decency that we would give anybody in any situation.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I think that's true, and and I definitely think you're right. Like I think that a lot of times when people say that, you know, or, or when they when they say pastor, when they hold pastors accountable for not showing pastoral care in sort of all and every situation. What they're really trying to say is why were you a dick here?
1: Right. Which is valid.
0: It's, it's incredibly valid. Totally agree. Um, I have another thought about the pastoral thing. Like I, the other reason why I think it's hard to uh, understand like pastors providing pastoral care for other pastors sort of in all times is because of something that I think we're touching on, like you and I both are touching on in our discussion of this, which is being somebody's pastor is, is an a, inherently a, um, a power differential.
1: Yeah. You yeah. know,
0: like, like if I, I, it's not that I'm more important. It's not that I hold, you know, a, as the pastor of these two churches that I serve, it's not that I'm like, in charge, like we said, and it's not that I'm magic, like, like we sometimes talk about, but like my, my parishioners are adopting, you know, ideally, or, or how I think they'd understand it is that they're adopting a vulnerable posture towards me. yeah. And they say, and they say, pastor, this is, you know, when I'm providing care, they might say, pastor, the, these are my needs. And this is really what's going on with me. And these are really my anxieties and insecurities. And I don't just tell this to people. I'm telling this to you because of trust or because I value you or because I think that you have insights that can help me. Um, And uh, can you do this? Can you help me? That's, I don't want to do that to my colleagues. Right. You know, and, and I shouldn't do, I don't think we should be doing that for our colleagues. This is one of the reasons why I think either the district superintendent role needs to change or we need to have a, 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 a separate role for, for um, somebody who can provide some pastoral care for other pastors yeah. at, the, at the district level. Um, that way I can look at that person and say, well, this person really is somebody who is quote unquote above me in the hierarchy or in terms of their responsibilities or stuff like that Be- so that I can tell them these things and trust them. And, and um, I'm going to say submit. And all I mean by that is like submit to their advice, defer to their advice, defer to their perspective. Yeah. Um,
1: trust what they're saying. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Trust what they're saying. Um, it really, to me, and it just sounds like the supervisor was just a really, really bad supervisor who um just made dumb decisions and lacked a lot of compassion as a supervisor and did not see this as a reflection of them as a pastor
1: yeah yeah
0: um which doesn't get them off the hook that's not me being like so let's let let's go easy on them in in some in some ways it's uh, a little bit more damning because this person—it's not even just that this person might not have had the skills they needed to be a good, like, executive. It's—it's um, it's also that well, this person has a, uh, a too compartmentalized vision of perhaps their role in in you know what they do, right? Like, right. Just because I am not a um, gas station employee's pastor. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean I get to go in and be like – and get – and fucking freak out on them if I'm having a bad day. <laughs> right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that they don't even know that I'm a bastard. We don't treat people like that. Um, I'll say – can I say one more thing before I kick it back over? Sure. I'm shocked by the insecurity. I'm always I'm always shocked by the insecurity of people of like supervisors or people who are who have responsibility over us and over others. Like I'm always a little shocked by that. That like it's not that I don't think people anybody can be insecure. I'm just always a little surprised when um, people who have been granted authority and given responsibility and then given all these tools and resources and support to back that up still behave as if they are insecure and intimidated and don't know what to do. And so um, uh, make real asses of themselves by abdicating their responsibility, by by blaming people who are underneath them, and by doing all of this. District superintendents do that. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like people do that all the time. And I'm always so baffled by it. If I... Joe, one of the reasons why I'm just not intimidated by my church is because is because the peop- my congregation um, cannot hurt me. Yeah, they can hurt me. Like they can they can. It's not that they can't, and they can if they really wanted to. Um, you know, ream me out, treat me like shit, do all kinds of stuff. But like, I don't think they will. But if they do, I'll just I'll just fucking leave. I won't hit him or hurt him, but I'll just be like, oh, well, that was kind of a horrible conversation. Let me uh, go call my district superintendent and then I'll just leave or let me go. And, 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 and the reason why I say this is because, well, part of my job as a pastor is that I've been given a certain amount of resources from the, the conference and the district, and I have no problem just using them. To protect myself, I don't need to freak out on anybody because I'm secure enough in it that I don't need to freak out. And I know that not everybody is like that, but my point is, is like, because I'm insecure about a lot of other things. But like, my point is, if there are resources and things in place to support you, there's no need for a supervisor to be so insecure that they can't just say, "I'm in charge." any problem that you've experienced is ultimately something I'm responsible for. And so I will be sure to help you and take care of it. And then they just do it. Yeah. To me, that's what good leadership is. To me, good leadership is recognizing that everything that happens that you are responsible for is on you and that you don't need to take that as a attitude that me, that, that, Tells you, oh, that means I have to control all of my employees so that I always look good. It it just means that you, it's up to you to handle it, and you, yeah. it's about you recognizing what is actually important enough to handle and what isn't. You know, if you're a supervisor and the person underneath you didn't make a mistake, but instead um, had a screaming match with with a, a client. Or with uh, somebody that you're serving in public in front of everybody, well, that's a very different situation. And then you right. go a- and you handle it. But if you're, but if somebody is complaining that your employee isn't a isn't a, a perfect angel who didn't right. who didn't do um, exactly what they wanted to do, an insecure leader would freak out on them about that because it because they would understand it as something that impacts them you know that impacts their reputation impacts the reputation of the organization and reflects on them as i don't know as a leader when really they should know that yeah none of this is that big of a deal right i babbled there at the end but i i i'm interested in that insecurity peace because I, that's the only way I can understand some of the leaders in my life and the way in which they behave, right? A district superintendent shows up at a church to mediate a conflict. And how do they mediate the conflict? They mediate the conflict by taking as little responsibility for it as possible so that they look good and I look like shit. Right.
1: That, that's just uh, not helpful.
0: I'm like, why'd you do that? It will literally not hurt you at all to show up at this church and be like... Whatever problems you're having are on me, how can I fix them? Or right. or it literally won't cost you anything to show up in the church and be like, uh, this is a problem that that isn't on anybody, but um, I will take the blame for it to protect this ministry. Why would you take the blame? Oh, it's really not that hard. These people are all peons who can't hurt me.
1: I, I mean, it's hard to argue with.
0: <laughs> right. And my last comment, because uh, you brought up uh, about the church, you know, the, the church matriarch who had some clout. And that's why they that's why like as like the analogy for mm-hmm. the the person who reached out in the scenario. Um, here, listeners who are ever interested in ministry, um, let me say something that will help free you from this. The clout is made up.
1: It is.
0: There is no such thing. Oh, this, ma- this church matriarch has been here for 50 years and what she says, things happen. I'm like, yeah, befriend her, have a good relationship with her, help negotiate the, whatever power she has for the forces of justice and good. And if she doesn't, ignore her and, and go above her and demonstrate that the clout and the power is meaningless.
1: Oh, what a what a challenging thing to say. I, I so I think you're I think you're right. I also think that like do that tactfully. Um, do that in a way that uh doesn't cause you more more harm than good. I guess. Um, I think I think it's perfectly appropriate for a pastor to recognize that like okay, here is somebody in my congregation who it would be great to have on my side. They're just not going to be, I'm going to maintain this relationship. Like this is an important beloved child of God. And also I understand the respect this person carries and I still need to do my job. So how can I figure out how to do that without this person? Yeah. I think what you say is right. The The clout is made up. It is something, I mean, I guess all clout is made up, but like that person actually doesn't have any authority over you. You're right. That's an important thing to recognize.
0: Sure. And I'm not here to, you know, I'm not here to say, Hey, be a dick to people that you don't like or right. be a dick right. to people because you don't really need them. I, as a pastor, I just think that the, I think we sometimes give, um, the power players of a congregation, a lot of power when we really don't need to.
1: Yeah. I you think that's know? exactly right.
0: Yeah. We can just shrug and be like, it's like that. I think that's part of the insecurity thing. Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so like with this scenario, Oh, um, you know, the supervisor is moved to act because the person who complains has a lot of clout, but people with a lot of clout are just as, stupid as people without any clout.
1: Sure. Yeah.
0: Because the clout doesn't magically give them intelligence uh, or, or a better uh, grasp of the situation. I'm not saying that a person with clout shouldn't be listened to or, or that, but I'm, but I'm not saying that I'm saying that of all people, people should be listened to and, and not just poo pooed, but you should also, you know, use your discernment and your judgment. Uh, and recognize that people, no matter what, will complain, especially yeah. people with clout. Right. And so I guess that's the part that sort of is confusing to me, right? Like in a church, you know that if a person with a ton of money shows up at your office and says, if you don't do X, I will stop tithing. your The, the pastor's response should always be, we don't need your money.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Even if you need their money, you always say, we don't need your money. If you stop tithing today, we would just shrug because you have a job to do. And uh, the last thing you need are people who think that they are actually in charge when they're not. Who
1: think they own you. Yeah.
0: Right. And I think it's the same thing here. Like, if this supervisor were had more, was more secure, had more skills, was more um, equipped uh, to to think in these ways, uh, this person would know. Oh, this is just the whim of a frustrated person who um, maybe got frustrated uh, for a good reason. But ultimately, it uh, doesn't seem to be describing anything horrific in the email, and so you can just move on.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's 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 absolutely where I come down on the scenario too. And I also think that yeah, I think that's fully separate from being a pastor. I think that's just being a good boss. And I think that um, being pastoral in that situation. Is noticing that um, noticing that a mistake happened that doesn't usually happen, and asking like, "What's going on?" Like, like I know you're going through a difficult time. Is that is that at play here? Like, do we need to take some things off your plate? Like, how can we help you through this situation? I mean, I think I think that kind of compassion is not due to being a pastor but i think pastors should be aware that you can offer that kind of compassion right like Mm -hmm. i don't know i i still think that no we are not trained to be good bosses (laughs) at any point or good executives but i also think that we are trained to be like Decent human beings, and that should always be at play in what we do to the best of our ability. I mean, like supervisors mess up, that happens. Like, we are going to make mistakes and not be the people that we want to be. But at the same time, like, that's where an insight from pastoral care could help you be a better boss. You could s- notice that there's something going on with this person that is impacting their performance and have that conversation that you need to have in a kind and caring way about what's going on, that would have been incredibly effective and would have helped manage the situation in in just a a completely different way than how it ended up continuing.
0: I agree. I agree completely.
1: What to you is pastoral care? And when do you use it?
0: Hmm. Um, I actually think that's a really good question. Because I'm not always sure. Hmm. I, I tend to think that when a congregation asks for pastoral care, they are, they're primarily looking for connection. Yeah. You know, they're primarily looking for a pastor who has, has decided to make real connections with them and, and maintain those connections so that when there is a bad thing happening, they can use those connections without feeling guilty.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: I think a lot of the past, I think a lot of like contemporary pastoral work is uh, that, that is really good work that I think more pastors should be doing is helping their people let go of guilt over being vulnerable. Mm. And, and just saying things like, everybody needs help. You're part of everybody. It's no big deal talk to me or, you know, giving them, giving them opportunities to like re get in touch with that. Right. I remember this is, this is actually, I think, connected to what we're saying. I remember being in Kermansville and doing just about every year doing like a bazaar, right? Like a lot of churches like to do that, where they do like a yard sale basically, or they, they sell, they collect a lot of stuff. Some of it is garbage, but some of it's good. And, and then they open the church up and let people come in and buy stuff, you know, and it's really cheap. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not like it's designed for anybody to come in, but, but ultimately it's for people who need access to resources who are, you know, just have pretty limited funds and, and, and need some extra help. And I remember um, somebody had donated uh, clothes, like new clothes, good clothes. Which was really great, like clothes they didn't need, but anymore, but like not like used stuff, like stuff they just never used sure. um, that other people could use. And some of these clothes were like fifty or sixty dollars, seventy dollars, you know. And then we we sold them for like ten, you know, ten dollars. And um, Janet was her name. Janet uh, was the somebody who did youth ministry at Kerwinsville and. Uh, it was really great and, and, you know, older. And I like to mock her because she's ancient and it was really (laughs) fun. Uh, a a blast. She was also really deaf. And so sometimes I'd be like, Janet, and then I would just start mouthing words. And and she'd be (laughs) like, she'd be like, I can't hear you. And everybody would laugh. And I'd be like, I don't know. Sorry. I don't know. Um, or I talk softly on purpose and then she'd get mad. It's, it was a lot of fun, but, but Janet, um, made a comment to me after we sold some of those clothes where she was like, I just feel bad for selling these clothes. So cheap, you know, they're, it's good stuff. And, you know, they, I just, I just don't think we should be selling it that cheap. And, um, you know, just typical weird boomer conversation, right? Like expensive things are more important than cheap things. And so they should be treated as sacred objects. (laughs) Right. Um, and, uh, and, and I looked at Janet and I was just like, People deserve good stuff, Janet. Mm. And uh and Janet thought about that for a while. She was like, You're right. People do deserve good stuff. They and, and I'm like, yeah. And now I interpret that as like a vulnerability moment. Yeah. Right? Where where Janet as, you know, Janet's great. She's she's got a heart for wanting to help people, and she likes Jesus a lot. And she and and she she's she's really wonderful but like part of the vulnerability piece that that i think that she needed permission over is like she saw she still saw everything in like not just economic terms but in like in like the rules of engagement that she was brought up in Right in the in the sort of anti Christian rules of engagement, we might say, where expensive things go to people who can afford it, and cheap things go to people who can't afford expensive things, and that's the way of the world. And the and, and people should people should accept that and not complain about that, because complaining about that means that, oh, maybe they're not satisfied with their lives. And people who are unsatisfied with their lives are vulnerable. Mm. And and uh, I don't think it's much of a stretch because I think that that comment from Janet comes from her insecurities too, you know, over all of this. And so to be able to say to Janet, just like I think we should be able to say to anybody who's experiencing this, it's okay. People yeah. deserve good things. Even people who... um we would think, uh, maybe deep down, don't deserve good things. People do deserve good things. People are more important than their stuff. These are all things that I think go together. Um, that that a lot of church people struggle with, and that are a part of caregiving. Because when the bizarre, when when a, like a church yard sale or a church thing like that is at its best, it's about church caring for the community. It's about church saying, hey, we've, yes, we're making a little bit of money here. We're not here to deny that. But, but we're not trying to make as much money as possible. We're yeah. trying to use our stuff to help people. And, um, help requires vulnerability. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that for pastors to be able to encourage their people to be, um, To not feel guilt over that, to um, not feel shame over things like weakness or um, uh, um, when other people show up in need of help for us to not feel shame over that or not feel guilt over that or not feel like we've crossed into some, you know, kind of odd uh, uh, world where, where everybody's just exposing their dirty laundry. Like none of that's happening. I think that like pastors who are, who really have that in mind are, can really help their churches, um, not just do really great stuff in the community, but like prime their churches to like, to, to accept care very well. Yes. Um, Because I think a lot of churches struggle with accepting care. Um, And so, yeah, I think that like the way I see it, like in, uh, like, like that's a really key key component, being able to navigate the guilt over needing care, not just in your congregation, but in the way in which your congregation tries to provide care for other people. I think when a congregation has a lot of personal guilt over needing care, they uh, would rather not care for other people too, mm, because okay. I think it's also their way of not in, not inflicting guilt on somebody else. Um, I and see I that. Think- yeah. I, you know what I mean and I it's obviously misguided but I but I think it comes from the right place Doug Poe's in my head again right like I mentioned this last time we talked like Doug Poe reminds us I don't think churches are I don't think congregations for the most part are shitty I think that they are trying to to be Christians well and care for and love people well they're just doing it the way they know how to do it how does a boomer love people? Well, I don't know, but one way a boomer loves people is by uh, not making them feel uh, mortal or vulnerable. Yeah, <laughs> because boomers have to feel immortal in order to feel good about themselves. Um, I don't know. I, I I feel like I said I feel like I babbled there. I, I to to say one last thing about this, the supervisor. Is an idiot, yeah, and probably shouldn't have been a supervisor, yeah. um, and so yeah, I think that's pretty obvious.
1: Yeah, i I am fully on your page with that, and i and I think what what came to mind as you were as you were talking then about accepting care, it is I think there's there's two important pieces to pull out of that that go back to, to kind of the whole conversation we've been having one. I think it takes practice to notice what people are, are actually asking for when they're asking for something like you, you identified that when churches ask for pastoral care, they're asking for connection. Mm -hmm. That is not what we were taught at uh during pastoral care and counseling right we were taught family systems and working through your own shit and refer out you know none of which is addressing kind of the deeper problem and there are definitely moments like when you're at the bedside when someone is in in deep grief when someone's going through a crisis absolutely those like pastoral care and counseling skills we learned are appropriate for those moments but Caring for a congregation is such a a, such a bigger question, figuring out what what is actually the need here is something that takes uh, care and attention and also a lot of practice. And I think that I think that goes back to the supervisor, right? Like with more practice or more security in themselves, or or whatever. I think there would have been um, a different reaction and an appropriately scaled reaction, um, and something that didn't compound into what it what it eventually became. Yeah, I I I just think I think that very straightforwardly, kind of like on the nose of it. It's easy to say this supervisor was a bad supervisor and made an incredibly terrible mistake. It is tempting to want to say, and they're a pastor they should have done better. And I think that I, I think one part of like the point of the podcast is to demystify pastors, right? We are, we're just the same as everybody else. We're going to make mistakes, but also that like, if you are really actively continuing to form yourself as a disciple of Jesus Christ, hopefully these kind of situations come to you and, and convict you and you see that you are not being the person that you want to be. And you make a decision to be a better person, which also will hopefully help, help you be a better supervisor. I think, I think maybe I thought this was a mystery, but really it's, it's that one person made an incredibly terrible uh, ongoing mistake in reaction to something that they should have felt more secure about. And that's really on them. It has nothing to do with pastoring at all.
0: Yeah. And it's not, I mean, they are pastors, so it has something to do with pastoring. You know, it's sure. it's not that it's, it's, it's not just that, but um, yeah, I, I mostly am just really tired of, of hearing about people with authority who also feel like they're six year old little baby boys all the time? Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that I listen. I, I have that in me too, guys. Like we're we're all deep down still just the uh, little kids uh, crying and feeling shitty, right? Like like deep down, that's that's us. That's all of us. But um, Lord. Figure it out on your own fucking time.
1: You know, <laughs> like, like exactly. we have stuff to
0: do. We have stuff to do. <laughs> it's why it's why I can't handle it when like uh uh you know, a cluster leader or a district superintendent or bishops don't tend to do this, at least in, in front of me, or any other boss that I've ever had wants to tell me about their feelings i i i'm like shut up i don't care and 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 i think and and you know i think that some people might be like well that's kind of rude of you i'm like it's not rude of me they shouldn't be offering any of this to me i don't want it i don't care about it there's they i i need them to be in charge right that's the only way any of this works
1: yeah, in in the roles that we have, in the way that this goes, yeah, I need you, I need you to be about yourself because it's not my job to care for you right now. Right. Yeah. Right.
0: Right.
1: And I think I think it's important to recognize those moments. Not that we're like denying the humanity of anybody or anything like that, but that like, you know, there are times where where whatever you are needing to express is not the thing that needs to happen right now. And like, just know that and and be able to put it aside yeah
0: yeah yeah
1: cool. i feel that good practical advice you want to sign us off
0: i will friends thanks for listening this has been an episode of what the hell is a pastor we are ethan and joe and we will see you next time
1: what the hell is a pastor is hosted by ethan Shear and joe schoenwolf and produced by joe schoenwolf
0: Our theme song is written by Joe Schoenwolf, performed by Ian Oriola and Paul Oriola, and produced by Paul Oriola.
1: Rate, review, and subscribe to us in the podcasting app of your choice.
0: Find us across the social internet at WTHIAP.
1: And visit us at WTHIAP.com to get connected to our Patreon merch, playlists, and more.
0: A special thanks to our Patreon subscribers, Nick, Justin, Matt, Teddy, Paul, Grace, Sam, Jory, Dara, Rachel, Abby, Peter, Reverends Langenstein, Annalise, Ian, and me. Your money makes this show happen. Yes,
1: it does. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. And remember, don't be a dick. Just don't do it. Don't do it.
0: Don't don't be a dick.